What's going on, everybody? This is the Ballers on Tap podcast. Just want to welcome you. This is week four. I'm your host, Evan Kelly, and I'm coming at you with my co-host, KK, what it is, what it do, what it ain't. Whatever it means. Make sure y'all subscribe to our iTunes podcast account at Ballers on Tap. And for your Android folks, get an iPhone. But if not, go ahead, follow us on Stitcher. We are on there too. And as well, hit us up on Twitter at Ballers on Tap. That is where we like to receive feedback, your comments. Where so you can argue with us live during games. Yes. That, yeah. Come, we've come we've, find us there. We've uh, had some arguments. Yep. Had a couple arguments already about being LeBron haters, apparently. But uh, we we always try to hash things out. But yeah, come find us on Twitter at Ballers on Tap. Um, we got a good one coming at you this week. Of course, this being Ballers on Tap. We're going to start off with what we have on tap. But after that, we're going to move into the Braves. Here we are sitting at about a month into the season. So, of course, it's been about a week since we called up Ronald Acuna. Definitely want to talk about what he's been doing, but also just kind of recap how the Braves have looked after this first month. After that, we're going to go straight into a draft recap. Just kind of hit the high points, what we think happened in this NFL draft, who did well, who didn't. Just real quickly touch on that of course you know we still got a long time for football season so we got to fit in something and then you already know hangovers of the week and of course the coup de grace NBA playoffs are still going on definitely had some exciting finishes to round one and uh, we're already a game here into round two by the time you hear this we'll be a couple of games into round two so definitely want to let you know what we're seeing in that how we feel about the different series going on in round two so, starting off, we got a good suggestion this week on what's on tap. AJ, you want to let them know what we have? All right, I got this suggestion on Twitter by Jordan Drake. I uh, appreciate the appreciate the um, the comments. It is a Sierra Nevada Tropical Torpedo Tropical IPA. So it's Tropical Torpedo. Tropical Torpedo. Um, it is an IPA. And real quickly, before we let you know what we think about it, they do have an awesome description here for it. Let me get on my uh, narrator's voice. Tropical Torpedo is inspired by the island life. They created an IPA completely disconnected from the mainland. (laughs) We used one of our one-of-a-kind hop torpedo to deliver an intense rush of hop flavor and the lush aromas of mango, papaya, and passion fruit with every sip. Enjoy our tropical twist on the American IPA. So that is what Sierra Nevada says this should be. AJ, let me hear your opinion. Is that what it is? Well, let's see. Let's take a sip. You can definitely taste it's hoppy like an IPA. Um, I'm trying to figure out the tropical. It, I can't really, I don't really get the aroma as far as smell. It, <clears throat> I can taste a little bit of citrus in here. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily mango or yeah, passion I, fruit. I, it's not as defined. As, I would say it's more orange than anything. Yeah, so, I taste a little bit of maybe orange. So I can kind of hint, hint that. Yeah, honestly, it's like a little more, to, to be honest, to me, it's like a little more hoppy version of a say a blue moon 
or something like that. That's good. Yeah. But not That's very good. Not quite as orangey. Yeah. Um, of course, if I'm having a blue moon, I got to have an orange peel in it too. Mm-hmm. And that just sets it off this not necessarily, but yeah, very hoppy, a little hint. Like they just said, it's kind of orangey. I don't know. I think it just combining all those fruits. It's just kind of a, a big variety just, of citrus yeah. flavors. Yeah. Um, but heading into the summer here, I'm sure we'll be trying some more kind of tropical, you know, seasonal flavors. So this is really the first tropical one of the year. Um, I like it though. I, I like it. It's a different take on the IPA. It's not, not just hops. Definitely has some flavor to it. It does. I'm, I'm a huge fan of tropical beer. I mean, it, it sounds, I remember my, before I even tried a fruity beer, I guess you could say, you just thinking in my head, I was like, there's no way that can like taste good or be any kind of anything that I would like. But I've all I've fell in love, especially you know when it gets hot. This is something you crave. This isn't my favorite. I will say that because I feel like it it does taste more IPA than anything. And like you said, a, a hoppier Blue Moon. That's actually a really good description yeah, of it. Yeah. I, I really see that now. The alcohol is six point seven percent. So not so, bad. Yeah, not bad. But yeah, as far as for me, it's not my favorite. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it or buy it again. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, average. It's average. Average. Yeah. Yeah, It's not going to be... If I'm, like you said, when it gets hot, I really want something refreshing. Um, I mean, I'm the same way. I like a little bit of flavor to my beer when I'm sitting out at the pool um, or sitting at the beach. This one, again, it doesn't... I think they definitely could have had more flavor to it yeah rather than so heavy on the hops yeah i see but hey maybe then again it is ipa yeah maybe that's what they're going for and again it's not just not our biggest cup of tea but in my opinion it's not it's not bad by any means it just almost makes me wish i had something a little more flavorful yeah i got you all right well moving on from the on tap portion. Let's just go ahead and jump straight into it. Like I said earlier, we're a month into the season. Let's break down the Braves. The Braves look fire so far from the plate. We're second in the NL East. Game and a half back of the Mets, which we start a huge series with them on Tuesday. The hitting has been outstanding. I know we I say this every week, talk about the hitting, hitting, hitting. But it hasn't let up yet. And I, I say this every week too. It's like, when will this let up? I know it will let up down the road. But as far as, as a city, we're loving our baseball right now. I mean, I can go down the lineup as far as for batting averages. Ender and Ciarte, 276. Ozzy Albies, 293. Freddie Freeman, 314. Marquecas, 302. Suzuki, 290. Acuna, just called him up a week ago, 421. And he's hitting 500 with men on base. Ooh, that is <laughs> ridiculous. Dansby, 287. And Ryan Flaherty, our placeholder at third base, he's still hitting a cool 300. The offense, they're first in National League in runs, and they're 11 head of the second place team, Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Pirates have played one less game than the Braves. Or one more game than the Braves. Sorry. We're first in average. We're first in RBIs. 
third in the majors in stolen bases. So we're getting on base and we're being aggressive, making the defense make a play. With that, that's what you got to do when you don't have necessarily a team with a bunch of power. But that brings me to my next point: we're third in the National League in home runs. So before the season, mate, no one saw this. I don't care who you are. No one saw this coming. Not at all. Not at all. And the big, I guess you could say, the big cog in this offense so far earlier in the season has been Ozzie Albies. He has nine home runs, which is tied for the league lead. I mean, you're talking about just the amount of power we have, how well we're hitting. The the big thing is we're hitting, but it's converting into actual numbers up on the scoreboard. Yeah, I mean, even just looking at the last couple of games, I mean, we beat the Phillies four to one. Yeah, for baseball, that that's a good score, four to one. Mm -hmm. And then, but you look right after that, and then it's like, holy crap, we beat the Phillies ten to one. Yeah. So not just are we hitting, but we're converting. We're we're not leaving people on base. We're getting them back home. And I think that that's the big thing is it doesn't matter necessarily how well you're hitting to get on base. Are you actually driving people in? And that brings me up to another point. Let's go. Let's go back to the the Justin Upton days with Atlanta. We had good teams. Good teams over the years. Oh, yeah. We lived and died by the home run. Oh, yeah. So if we were hitting home runs, we were doing good. If we weren't. There was no small ball. Yeah, we're struggling. But this team does that small ball. I talk about getting on base. You're stealing bases. You're hitting high for average. So when these when these guys come up to bat, when they hit a home run, it's not just solo, solo shots. You're putting crooked numbers up on the board, which is only going to help the team, obviously. But back to Ozzie Albies, he's tied for the major league lead in runs with 29. He set a Braves record for extra base hits in the first month with 18. And he ended the month with 22 overall. So this guy, no, he's not. He's on pace to hit 54 home runs. He's not going to hit 54 home runs, I'll tell you that right now. But he could easily put up 20, 25. Oh, yeah. Very he, realistically. He's not in the lineup for his power, but he's definitely got some pop. But he's hitting everything right now. And an interesting fact I like to bring up is Freddie Freeman. If you look at our lineup, Freddie Freeman, he's going to hit 30 home runs. He's going to drive in 100, 105 RBIs. He's hitting 314, which is top 10 in the majors in average. No one's even talking about him because of all the hype we have from Acuna yeah. and from Ozzy. Do you so, think pitchers are planning for him? Yeah. Or do, you, do you think pitchers are planning for Freeman or you think they're... I think it does help as far as Ozzy and Acuna now being moved up second in the batting order, hitting in front of Freddie. That's only going to help you out because you don't want to face Freddie. Mm-hmm. And also, it's going to help Freddie as well. These guys get on base. Freddie's having more um, opportunities to drive in runs. So right now, man, the Braves, we look great. The offense is, continues, continues to impress. The whole league is not really put put on notice. But I think it's definitely opened, opened some eyes it as far as how we're doing. Yeah, it definitely hasn't fizzled out. I mean, you go back and listen to our week one week two yeah, shows okay. yeah i mean we thought okay we're hot like you like you just opened up the segment with we're hot but how long is this going to last we're not supposed to be this hot and yeah we we've had some games where obviously you can't hit like that every game and mm-hmm. there's been some times where you watch them and say okay here comes the the kind of downswing 
of us cooling off and then they pick it right back up. One last thing before we move on. Mike Soroka, 20 years old, from AAA. He just caught up, got caught up, called up, and he's going to make his MLB debut Tuesday night, tonight. So this is just another cog of adding it to this machine that Atlanta's got going. Because I still do think Atlanta needs some help pitching. We've been kind of kind of average, but our offense being so great has helped us to propel us to this record. And I'm I'm glad to see them calling up players uh, because mm-hmm. this was again going back to week one, week two. I was complaining about always hearing about the farm system. I mean, for years and years. Obviously, he's 20. He hasn't been in the farm system that long, but just you always keep hearing about how well the Braves farm system is doing, how the future looks, how the future looks. So here, just within a week of each other, calling up him and Acuna, two players kind of coming from that farm system and hopefully thriving here in the big show. It's nice to actually see some of that farm system resulting in major league wins. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's great to say, man, we got a great future ahead of us. But let's make the future now. And that's what Alex Anthopoulos is doing right now. So let's get these guys up there. I think he's letting these young guys. Baseball, again, it's a little more conservative and it's very stats driven. I think they're taking an approach of let's let some of these younger guys go ahead and get that experience and hell even make some mistakes. Yeah. I mean, here they and will. learn. I mean, you have to, you have to learn at some point and yeah, getting these young guys out there again, that just gets you even more excited for the future because at that point they stopped being young guys and now they're experienced guys. Yeah. Looking at the season, man, if we're in playoff contention in late July, September or August, that is like, Super, super. That wasn't expected. No, that's like going above and beyond of what you're expected. So then you have to look for next year. So yeah, bring these guys up. Let them throw, get them thrown into the fire. Let them make those mistakes. Let them learn. Now I know there's a fine line of bringing guys up and they get down too much as far as struggle too much. Then they can hurt their confidence. So it is a fine line of knowing which guys to bring up, which can handle this pressure, but it's definitely going to be fun. I, the, there's a little bit, there's a, a little bit of a buzz around the city. I know it's just April. I know it's uh, just May. It's only been one month, but there's definitely some fire about Braves baseball again. And I love it. All right. And that is how the Braves are doing in this first month. So moving on, let's touch on the NFL draft. So, again, we're not going to go through and grade each team, how they did, all their draft picks. We just kind of run run through, touch on the high points, kind of what we saw after Thursday night and even through the weekend. So, of course, we have to start with the number one pick. And with the number one pick in the draft, Cleveland Brown selected, dun-dun-dun-dun, Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Oh, man. Baker. How do you feel about that, by the way? (laughs) So, I am not a fan of that move. And I think I'm actually going to get into that more during my hangover of the week. Oh, so you got more coming. I think I have more coming. I'm going to leave it brief right here. 
Um, I think that was like the most Cleveland Browns pick ever. I agree. I don't, you know, last week what I talked about, right? Cleveland takes Saquon at one and they take Baker at four because the reports were coming out that they're interested in Baker Mayfield because Baker Mayfield would have been available at four. But no, you take him at one. And I don't, I don't know how I feel about it because for one, you know, Baker Mayfield, he's a competitor. He's going to compete. He's a fighter, almost kind of like what, what Cleveland really needs to kind of jumpstart that organization. And they've obviously, obviously fell in love with him. But you watch all, you know, you have all the analysis. I mean, Todd, Todd McShay, Mel Kuyper, I mean, they do great work, but he doesn't have the measurables. Well, you can't really measure, like, a guy's heart pretty much and how much he really cares. So it's not something I'm, I'm really in love with. I can see why they took him because he... He was in college for four or five years. Played every year, pretty much. I mean, has I, a lot of has a lot of experience. I got respect for him. Won hey, a lot of games. Hey, he was a walk on. I mean, I got respect for the guy. He definitely yeah. loves the game. He definitely walked plays on hard. twice. Yeah, mm-hmm. two time walk on. So look, I got respect for him. And, I, and like you said, you can't measure the heart. Um, I think he definitely does have heart for this game and and loves this game, but. When you get to that professional level, um, it's a little bit more than heart. Heart, you gotta have. Yeah, trust me. There's guys who've made plenty of money with no heart. Oh, oh and they yeah. stayed in the league. Oh yeah, there's plenty long. of guys in the league who don't care. Yeah, there's guys who they're good at football and that's just their job. And when they're out of the locker room, they really don't care about football. Now those aren't the great guys, but yeah. there's guys who can definitely make a career out of that. No, Baker is not one of those. He he loves the game. Um, again, hard player, but he. I'm not a fan of the move. Yeah, I'm just not a huge fan. I'm not necessarily like 95% of the other people straight bashing it, saying they Cleveland again. But I mean, we're going to have to see. I got faith in them. I'm, but Well, that's... So out of the <laughs> two of us, that's one person who has faith in them. Yeah. Well, back to the recap of the first round. Five quarterbacks went in the first round. That's crazy. This... You think in uh, 20, 30 years they'll make a documentary the year oh, of the quarterback? Yeah, they definitely will. They already made it 30 for 30. Huh. Yeah, that's why you said it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, before we like get into all the quarterbacks, number two, Giants, they took who you said should have gone number one. The best athlete in the draft. Saquon Barkley. Now, okay, you say best athlete. But do you think it's worth taking a running back at number two just because he's a good athlete? For the Giants, no. I think they should have took quarterback. Because you taking Saquon, you're saying, all right, Eli, you got maybe one or two e- years. Eli's still our future for e- a little Eli bit. is still our quarterback. Exactly. But I think if the Browns did take Saquon, Giants definitely would have took a quarterback. So I think they kind of based their pick on who the Browns are going to get. Now, I know the show is more entertaining when we disagree and we get heated like last week, <laughs> but I completely agree with you. I think the Giants should have gone with the quarterback. I heard a stat today that since Eli Manning won his last Super Bowl in 2012, he's been doo-doo. 
<laughs> he's the lowest rated quarterback in the league. If you draw that QB if rating, you, if you yeah, if you compile yeah. the last what six years, yeah, or five years, because mm-hmm. we're just now yeah. going into 2018, he's the lowest rated quarterback. I mean, I with, believe that with time, not oh, RG three had two seasons or Johnny Manziel was in for a season, but kind of franchise quarterback, he is the lowest. I mean, you could arguably arguably say he's the worst quarterback to win two Super Bowls. I think what he's is, a spe- I think he's a specialist. You know what he is? He's a Patriots killer. <laughs> that's all. And that's the only team he can beat. That, that's it. And hey, it's a good team to beat. I wish Matt Ryan could have beat him. <laughs> but hey, I I completely agree with you on that second pick. Um, Giants probably should have gone with a the quarterback there for the Giants. Um, now I do disagree with you that oh Saquon should have gone that high, just not to the Giants. I don't know if you necessarily need a running back as the number two pick. Well, that brings me up to one of the points I was going to say. There were seven running backs in the first two rounds, which that's astronomically high because, yeah, running backs are three, four, five. If it's me, I'm not, years. Yeah, I'm not drafting a running back until the I second agree. round. Because to me, now I know, yeah, you have great athletes. I know you have great running backs. But it's all about the O-line to me. Saquon can go up to the Giants, best player on the team, right? If his O-line's not any – if average, he's not going to do much. Exactly. He's not. I think in that first round you go quarterbacks, O-line, and if you can get a true kind of game changer on your defense, yes, you go with that. Yeah. Which, of course, we're going to touch on a couple of those here in that first round as well. Anything else you got to say about Saquon? Um, not necessarily about Saquon. I would say as far as running backs in the NFL – it's kind of a not really a dying position, but like you said, the their value of a of a good running back is kinda has lowered. It has lowered. You know, I think nobody is is downing the Giants pick. Um I haven't heard many people just saying that was a ludicrous pick. Yeah. I they, think if this, I think if this was four or five years ago, they would be saying, Why the hell are you taking a running back? But you know who I think is really Changed that perception of taking that high running back, our man Todd Gurley. Rams got Todd Gurley, and he put up some crazy numbers, and it showed, hey, the running back is not dead. He really can be a game changer, help your offense. There was definitely a few years there where offenses were going the way of, we we don't even need to hand the ball off. Just throw it, throw to, it. A, throw it to a running back in the backfield mm-hmm. and let him do his thing. I think Todd Gurley has really changed that perception and kind of injected some energy back into the running back position. Yeah, and talking about the running backs because the position has changed. It's almost like basketball. Every single person on the court has to be able to shoot a three. You have to be able to shoot. So these running backs, you got to be able to do it all. You're not just running through the tackles anymore. You're running screen. You have to have hands if you're a running back now. You have to be able to catch the ball in the backfield. Exactly. So let's going on to that. Look at Sony Michelle, a backup at UGA. Granted, he went off in the last three games, especially the playoffs. He went in crazy mode. He goes in the first round. He's been a backup his whole career to Nick Chubb, who's a straight up the tackle guy. But I, I mean, I called it last week. Reports were that hey, Nick Chubb might have the best hands of any of the backs that were projected to go early. 
See, I would like to see that. Granted, we we hardly Georgia, have- yeah. Georgia did not use him that way, but I guess the scouts saw something when he's visiting teams during the combine that hey, Nick Chubb actually might be a very solid, very very solid in the backfield. Yeah. So let's uh, talk about UGA players. Let's talk about the UGA players that got drafted. Three of them taken in the first round: Roquan Smith, eight to Chicago, teaming up with Leonard Floyd. That's going to be kind of nasty. I think so. Isaiah Wynn goes 23 to the Patriots. Then eight picks later, like we said, Sony Michelle 31 to the Patriots. Yep. Two players from UGA. I love that. I yeah. love it. Now, let me just touch on what you said. I mean, Roquan Smith, Leonard Floyd up there in Chicago. Chicago, they're one of those legacy teams, one of those historical teams. But let's be honest, they haven't made any noise here in the recent past. No, they haven't. So, it looks like it's still a slow build-up. But, there's definitely some hope that maybe Leonard Floyd and Roquan Smith can kind of be the the building blocks to get one of those dominant Bears defenses that we saw in the 80s and in the early to mid-2000s with Erlacher, I mean... Lance Briggs. Exactly. Yeah, they're one of those franchises like the Steelers that just because you're the Bears you should have a good defense or like just because you're the Steelers you should have a good yeah, defense. There, there's some teams it's just one of those things there's some teams it doesn't matter who the coach is historically they hang their hat on one side of the ball and like you said Steelers Bears they're they're defensive teams you know whenever you have to go play them that you better be ready to get popped and I would love to see Roquan and Leonard Floyd Help, help build that up. So continuing with the UGA players, like we said, Nick Chubb went in the second round to, to Cleveland, so he's going to be with Baker Mayfield. Lorenzo Carter goes in the third round to the Giants. And Javon Wims, a wide receiver who really broke out last year with Jake Fromm, he went in the seventh round to Chicago. So that's three UGA players right off the bat in Chicago. So here's the question. Some people are starting to call the Patriots, the UGA North Campus. I, I, <laughs> I can't get behind that because I hate the Patriots. So whenever you're talking to me, you want to talk about UGA's North Campus, let's just move on over. Let's go over to Chicago, and I'll, <laughs> I'll support you there. Yeah. I think it's just Bill Belichick, he came to the coaches clinic this year with Kirby Smart's coaching clinic, and he was at the pro day obviously, for the UGA players. And really helping out. He's He got used to their players. Belichick and Kirby Smart, obviously both defensive coaches. Defensive guys, yeah. So a couple last things before we move on. I know I said there's five quarterbacks taken in the first round. Sam Darnold went to third to the Jets. Josh Allen went seven to the Bills. And Josh Rosen slipped back to 10 to Arizona. Now, to be honest... Out of all those quarterbacks, if I'm one of them, like one of them who I think kind of not hit the jackpot, but who should be the happiest, I think it's Josh Rosen. Going to the Cardinals, he has great opportunity over there. He does. And I think this goes without saying, he avoided, a lot of people said Josh Rosen was the best quarterback in the draft. Well, he avoided going to the Browns, which is a graveyard. Um, Jets... They're always kind of a mess. I mean, they they don't have great history. 
I think the Cardinals still have a long way to go. But if I'm Josh Rosen, I'm kind of excited about going and being out there. Plus, I mean, he's a UCLA guy still out, yeah, staying out, out on the West Coast. I I uh, thought it was interesting what he said as far as his presser at the draft, <laughs> saying, he, <laughs> saying he was pissed that he fell so low and he's going to make them pay for the next decade or so. I think that was a little cocky. Well, see, that's the thing that as far as kind of not deterred teams away, but kind of shot up flags is he does have that, that confidence, that kind of uh, cockiness. Yeah. And part of it too, how we said Baker Mayfield, there's no doubt he loves the game. I know that was the other big issue with Josh Rosen was, does, is this guy really committed to the game? Does he love football? Is he going to come in and want to just study film nonstop? I mean, again, I, I'm not a Tom Brady fan by any means, but kind of like LeBron, I, I respect the game. Mm-hmm. And you see the kind of the highlights from his little TB12 documentary. That man watches film nonstop. He's got yeah. a supermodel and kids at the house, and he shuts all them out. Yeah. And he sits in his office and watches film. This man who probably knows the game better than anybody now that Peyton's out of the league. <laughs> but – he doesn't need to watch film, but he does because he's a football nerd. That's what he loves. There's definitely still those questions of, is Josh Rosen one of those football nerds? Is is he going to commit his life to the game? But I think he made it out the best out of any of the quarterbacks. Anything you want to touch on with the quarterbacks? Um, last quarterback taken in the first round. Ravens traded up. They got Lamar Jackson. I, I like Lamar Jackson. I think he can... I think he fell farther than he should have. Yeah, to be honest. I think he could be a surprise out of all the quarterbacks. I think he could be a surprise. He, granted, he sit behind Joe Flacco. I he's with there with RG three. I think that's perfect for him. I I don't think Lamar Jackson would thrive in a place where you, where they just throw him in yeah. game one and hope he figures it out. I think getting to sit behind Joe Flacco, I think he'll take over RG three for that second spot at some point. Maybe yeah, not he, right at the beginning, but yeah. Lamar Jackson, he's got a little more uh, – he, he's a little thicker body. I think he can absorb some of those NFL shots. I mean, he's not big by any means, yeah. but compared to RG3. So, I think Lamar Jackson has a great opportunity to learn. Now, whether he becomes a great quarterback for the Ravens or maybe he sits for a couple years and moves somewhere else and gets to kind of take over, I think this is a great opportunity for him and – like I just said, I think he fell farther than he should. I'm rooting to see Lamar Jackson go far in this league. Yeah, I agree. I, I do too. Now, I want to touch on one thing before we get out of the draft. Well, I'll ask you a question, but I'm going to answer it first <laughs> just to make sure you don't steal my answer. All right. And you might have the same. So the question I'm going to ask to you is what was your favorite move in that first round? Now, like I said, I'm going to give you my answer first because I don't want you stealing my answer. And then when people hear this, they say, oh, he's just piggybacking off of AJ. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite pick that I think is going to be nasty, man, Bradley Chubb to the Broncos. <laughs> Boy, Broncos defense is back. I mean, that's how they won a Super Bowl yeah. was based off their defense. Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware. Exactly, and now you got somebody to put on the other side of Von Miller. Man, 
teams better watch out. That's there. I think that puts them right back up into that almost elite defense status. And that brings up why didn't the Browns had a chance to take Bradley Chubb at four? They took a cornerback. You get a paired him with Miles Garrett. But you asked me a question, best moves in that first round. I would have to go back to the Lamar Jackson because Ravens traded up with Philadelphia and got that last pick, that 32nd pick to get Lamar. They're what they think will be their franchise quarterback. I think it was a great move for them. They know Flacco has definitely declined over the past couple of years. So having him be able to sit back behind Flacco two, three years, learn a lot. I think it'd be very beneficial for the organization as well as Lamar Jackson. That's that's respectable. And I mean, I think Flacco's almost gone the way of Eli. He, he's looked at greater than he really is because he got that ring. Yeah. Um, people were saying, oh, Flacco over Matt Ryan to this day. And I mean, of course I'm biased, but just looking at it, I still think Matt Ryan's probably a better overall quarterback. He just doesn't have that ring. He, he is better. So yeah, he's a lot better. So, Okay, I can I can get behind that the Lamar Jackson pick. I think that was smart, but like I said, I'm going with that Bradley Chubb. I think, man, Broncos, if they can ever kind of get their offense on point, hey, their defense is set. Uh, quick question for you: You can, how do you feel about Falcons taking Calvin Ridley first round? So Calvin Ridley, I love it, and I don't want to toot my own horn, but I did kind of. Of course, we were looking at some different yep. mock draft boards, but. We looked at that Calvin Ridley pick for the Falcons last week, talking about the possibility. I think it's great. Now, Calvin Ridley coming out of Alabama, he had 224 career receptions over there, 2,781 yards. He had 19 receiving touchdowns and then one rushing touchdown. Okay. Now compare that to another Alabama receiver that he's going to be getting mentored by Mm -hmm. in Mr. Julio Jones, which is why I said I love that pick last week is because he could kind of come into the organization and learn from some, some all time greats and Julio, um, Sanu really two guys who've played the game the right way and know what they're doing. He gets those veterans to really bring him under their wing. And we know in football, especially you really kind of stick to your position your position players, that's who you're around all the time. That's who you learn from. So I think, one, his development is going to be great. But, again, those stats I just said, 224 career receptions, 2,781 yards, 19 touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. Compared to Julio, when he was at Alabama, and this is not to say he's going to be a better receiver than Julio, but this is just to kind of put everything into perspective. When Julio came out of Alabama, he had 179 receptions, 2,653 yards, 15 touchdowns, and then an additional two rushing touchdowns. Now, the biggest difference, and here's why I love the pick. Again, Calvin Ridley's coming in at 6'1", about 190, Mm -hmm. compared to Julio, 6'3", 220. Like I said, Julio's more of that Calvin Johnson. Yeah, Yeah, throw it up, let him go get it pretty much over any DB that wants to cover him. Now, where we need to watch Calvin Ridley, the Falcons just lost Taylor Gabriel. Mm-hmm. And Taylor Gabriel was a speedster that they would throw out to in the flats, throw some screens to him, and let him just 
find a hole and yeah. take off. I think that's exactly what they're going to do with Calvin Ridley. They're going to possibly just put him in the slot, let him kind of get out, throw it to him, maybe a little screen on in the flats, and just find that hole, get behind some big bodies, and take off. So I'm really excited to see what the Falcons do with Calvin Ridley. Um, I don't see any downside to that pick. I know some people said we need to keep adding to our defense or possibly an offensive lineman. Um, I know people say wide receiver is kind of the, as Colin Coward puts it, the frosting. He says, like, you build from the inside out. But looking at the Falcons roster, losing Taylor Gabriel, I think this is a great pick. Usually, I don't see eye-to-eye with Thomas Dimitrov, but, hey, props to you. Good job, Falcons. What What about you? I'm not as on board with the pick. Now, granted, I'm not the huge Falcons fan, but I support my Atlanta teams, of course. Because I do think that you should have went defensive line or O-line especially. But you add another weapon for Matt Ryan. And I know I'm talking with a lot of Falcons fans since the draft. Said, man, Matt Ryan got another weapon. Well, you still got to get the ball to him. You still got to call the right plays. I think it's a good pick. It's it's not something I'm in love with, but it's a good pick. I think it's I think it, I think it will work out with them. I think Sarkeesian will get it together this year. I really do. <laughs> so, <laughs> can we draft an offensive coordinator? <laughs> no, I I hope he really brings it together this year because I really do think he there will. was definitely a dip. I mean, we had the same exact talent, and you saw our offense really take a dip last year. Now you you can put some of that on. Teams getting more film on us. I think Starkeesian, just one more offseason gets you in a little better yeah, groove. Yeah, you, you get more comfortable. I mean, he came straight from the college game. He's going to be all right. Falcons fans, just calm down. Starkeesian's going to get it right. And I, I, they're definitely a Super Bowl contender in my book for next year. All right. Well, last takes on the NFL draft. Speak now forever. Hold your peace forever hold my peace <laughs> all right and that is your 2018 nfl draft all right now it's that time again it's time for the hangover of the week hangover of the week. okay so jumping into our hangover of the week And again, for those of you who don't know, maybe this is your first episode listening to us, our hangover of the week, we just want to touch on a story that is giving us a headache, making me feel sick, I'm already tired of hearing about it, and I want to retire this story. Just don't come to me talking about this, it's giving me a headache, making me tired, I feel like I have a hangover, bring me some Pedialyte, let me rehydrate and move on to something else. So for this week, I'm going to start it off, since we just talked about NFL Draft, my hangover of the week, I'm going to touch on Baker Mayfield. So, Baker Mayfield, like we just said, number one overall pick to the Cleveland Browns. Now, coming out of college, going into the draft, I don't think anybody had Baker at the number one pick did you heck no I, I'm thinking like second third round did you see anybody that had Baker as the number one pick 
Especially at, at the number one. No. Exactly. Been. Maybe they, first They round. had him at the fourth or fifth quarterback taken. Exactly. So, Baker Mayfield, we just said, hey, got to respect his game, love his heart. Definitely think he, he loves the game of football. But don't come to me and talk about how Baker Mayfield is a true number one pick. I don't want to hear about how he's going to help the Browns in any way. I think there's two sides to the story here. I do not think Baker Mayfield is a franchise quarterback. And I know we disagree on this a little bit. But when I look at Baker Mayfield, you know what I see? I see Johnny Manziel 2.0. Small quarterback that was lightning in college. Had an amazing college career. Get drafted by the Browns. And is not going to be able to produce with those NFL bodies flying around the field. So that is my knock just on Baker Mayfield's talent. I think he's a little too small, and I don't think he has the skill to transfer over to the next level. But then at the same time, the other side of the coin is that franchise. Part of me likes to believe that it doesn't matter who the Browns would have taken at the number one seed, they still would not have had a franchise quarterback because that franchise is so dysfunctional they could have drafted Peyton Manning and he still wouldn't have helped turn them around I think combined with Baker Mayfield's talents and the Browns front office that's a doomed relationship and that he will not be on the Browns here in maybe three years I was going to say two but I'll, I'll give him maybe this season maybe they stick with him one more But I think by year three, he'll either be shipped off and be a second-string quarterback somewhere else, or who knows, possibly even be out of the league. (laughs) That's really bold, man. I mean, again, in my eyes, he's just Manziel 2.0. And, of course, here we are a few years later, and we've seen Johnny Manziel kind of go downhill and make his way out of the league. But I think sometimes we forget how electric he was in college. I mean, this is the man, this is the only guy that can make Nick Saban look stupid. He would tear Alabama's defense up on the field. I mean, he was lightning in a bottle, and it transferred well in the college game. But you know who else transferred well in the college game? Tim Tebow. There's certain skill levels, there's certain skills that will get you those wins in college. And then there's certain skills that will get you those wins in the NFL. And that's why you see some NFL teams draft these quarterbacks that aren't necessarily as well known in college. But their skill set, their size, their vision, their knowledge of the game transfers over to that NFL style. So, again, I don't want to hear about Baker Mayfield being a great number one pick. Or turning the Browns around, it's not going to happen. At the same time, I don't think it matters who they would have taken. It's not going to happen. Most of the teams really had Josh Rosen as the number one quarterback. I think from a talent standpoint, footwork, throwing ability, Josh Rosen was it. Maybe right after him, it's pretty close between Josh Allen and Sam Darnold. But... Sam Darnold, I think, can definitely develop into a franchise quarterback, even at the Jets. 
Josh Rosen, I just said in the previous segment, will probably do well at the Cardinals. I think he got pretty lucky dropping down, even though he wasn't happy about it. But Baker Mayfield is not a franchise quarterback. Like I just said, Sam Darnold at the Jets. From what I've heard, he's much more of a franchise quarterback than Trubisky or Deshaun Watson that were picked last year. No teams were real big on either of them. So here in this draft, you have a couple of guys that teams actually saw as true franchise QBs. And the Browns take Baker Mayfield. Now, piggybacking off of this hangover, there's a new story coming out today on Tuesday that Baker Mayfield's agent is saying the Patriots possibly would have traded up to the number two slot in the draft if he was still available. Now, to me, I don't buy that at all. But you told me something right before the show that I think is kind of interesting. You said maybe the Patriots saw something that the rest of us aren't seeing and that maybe the Browns saw. Well, um, just want to butt in real quick. Out of all the teams in the league, the Patriots would be the only per- only team you'd really listen to that, oh, if they had interest in them, they obviously see something. Patriots are always a step above. And that's fair. The Patriots are known for for drafting guys that are a little below the radar and seeing something in them and developing them into greatness. So if the story is true, who knows? Maybe maybe Baker Mayfield has something that I don't see. But part of me, again, I don't even buy that story that the Patriots would have traded up to a number two pick to pick Baker Mayfield. Yeah. And part of that is because the Patriots are not known for drafting quarterbacks high anyway. Bill Belichick doesn't waste picks on quarterbacks because he knows he can develop them. I don't see them going to a number two spot and Belichick saying, you know what we really need? We need to get a quarterback at the number two spot. Granted, yes, they need somebody to to really kind of take the reins from Tom Brady here in the next few years, but I don't think it's a number two pick either, and that's kind of the Patriots' way. If you look at the history that's not something they do. So I think the story's complete BS put out by Mayfield's agent. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but hangover of the week. I don't want to hear from now until week one of the NFL season. I don't want to hear anything about how Baker Mayfield's looking in practice. Um, Cause either way, he's still practicing against the Browns. Show me what he does against some NFL teams. Again, my prediction by year three, He's probably not going to be on that roster. It's a very bold take. Very bold. So my hangover of the week. Oh, man. This one really upsets me. Because I have a little bit of OKC in my heart. Paul George. Two for 16. Five points. In a closeout game. Playoff P my ass. Watching the game, this is a guy who claims he's a superstar who's pretty much playing in OKC for a year, which a lot of people think. Going to get that max deal coming this offseason. But this man goes 2 for 16 with 5 points in a playoff closeout game while the whole game not showing any kind of emotion like he cares. 
And I know we talked about it earlier. There's professional athletes that don't care. And he really looked like that. Now, I know a lot of people are saying, well, Westbrook Westbrook took 43 shots. Well, he took 43 shots because he had to. And for one, on the defensive end, they couldn't stop anybody. So he had to be more aggressive. He had to do something. And Paul George wasn't, wasn't doing much. He looked very timid with the ball. Stephen, Paul George, Westbrook would pass Paul George the ball. He would get the ball. Stephen Adam comes, set him a screen. And he kind of just wraps around the screen and kind of just standing there looking. And I'm watching the game. I'm like, dude, you got to do something. Uh, you you claim you're a top 10 player in the league. I mean, for his sake, he probably thinks he's a top five player in the league. But I just did not see that at all. And it, I know this didn't hurt him as far as for free agency because players of uh, organizations would love to have a player like him. But in my me watching the game in my book, I'm like, man, what? I don't even know if I want this guy on the team. Like, does he care? In a closeout game, when your season's on the line, you got to come, your, your ball's to the wall. Look at Westbrook. I mean, granted, he's balls to the wall every night. Now, I do I do say Westbrook is a ball hog sometimes. I agree. But he gave Paul George plenty of chances to do something that night, and he didn't. Westbrook saw it. He was like, okay, well, let me just do me like I have been doing the last two years. So I'm just tired of, well, for one, I'm tired of hearing about playoff P. I'm glad we don't have to hear about it anymore because he, uh, that was just one of the biggest flops. I'm surprised that it's not more of a talk in the sports world than what it is. I think just because the playoffs are going on, it kind of saves him as far as all the talk of his folding pretty much. But yeah, just quick, short, playoff P, get the hell on. Now, can I ask you a quick question? Just because we are focusing on Paul George. Um, obviously, so we're about to get a little more into detail about this closeout game here in the next segment. But since we're focusing on Paul George, do you think his terrible performance in a closeout game, and you, you kind of said both sides of the coin on this one, but do you think the the abysmal performance was because of his skill? Or you said, hey, this guy says he's an all-star. Well, look what he did. Or do you think it was more of him kind of mentally checking out, pulling like a James Harden from last year where it's that elimination game and things don't go well for him early, early on, and he just kind of checks out and he's – maybe already look into free agency during that game. Now, he does have skill. I give him that. But as an organization, do you want that player that shows no heart, no emotion? Now, granted, I think Paul George in his head, he knows this is a one-year deal. I was traded here. I don't even really want to be here. But you had a chance to make some noise in the playoffs. You were two all-stars. Mellow and Westbrook. But at the same time, but like you said, it's not because of his skill. I I think he has skill. He didn't show it. If, he really didn't show it all playoff series except game one and game four or game five. So you, so you think it was more of the mental checkout versus he just wasn't able to perform? 
I think it is the mental checkout, but I mean, it's game five. I feel like you got to bring your all. I mean, or game six. Yeah, it's a closeout game. I was thinking five because he only put five points up. It's stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he obviously has skill, but if I'm a, if I'm an owner, if I'm going after this player, I will have some like questions, like what did happen that game. It's just a red, a flag for me, a red flag for me. And that's fair. That's fair. I think, I mean, I have heard some takes of if the Thunder are going to try to keep him, it can't just be, hey, how can we cater to you? That the Thunder probably need to tell him to look in the mirror and see how he performed that last game. Yeah, and they will say that. And Paul George, he seems like the guy, nope, I'm out of here. If y'all gonna blame this on me, exactly. I was about to say that's, that's a like dangerous that. line to toe. If you're the organization, I mean, some of these players, you know, everybody thinks they're the best. When the organization starts saying, "Well, look at what you did," yeah, there's a good chance he could just dip out. He seems like the player that would. I think career move, he should stay. Because now, just get used to Westbrook because he does he does his own thing. We all know get jailed with that team, but I see 0% chance he stays, to be honest. I did not think he's staying at all. All right. So that was my hangover. Just Paul George being not playoff P. I'm tired of hearing him. I don't want to – I'm glad I'm not hearing about it right now just because the playoffs are – I feel like it's a good thing for him that the playoffs are still going on because they're not talking about him. And I don't want to hear about his free agency destination. I don't want to hear about where he wants to go. I just want to forget about it, drink some Pedialyte, get on with the playoffs. And that sounds like a plan to me because our next segment is NBA playoffs. Round dose. So, moving on to the NBA playoffs. Here we are recording this on Tuesday. We are into round two. But before we jump into round two, Let's just brief, briefly touch on the results of round one. So, in the Eastern Conference, you had the 76ers beat out the Heat. Raptors beat out Washington, which they should have. And I'll get to that here in a little bit, but that series shouldn't have even gone that long with them being the one seed. Celtics took out the Bucks. And then the Cavs took out the Pacers. So that's for the Eastern Conference. Now, before we jump into the Western Conference, I just want to touch on the Cavs taking out the Pacers. Man, if you missed that last game, you missed great basketball. So, the Pacers, the story coming into that game was Oladipo was leading the way for the Pacers. Now, we said last week, when the Pacers were not able to go up 3-1 to one on the Cavs, they had their chance. They missed it. They missed it. That was their chance to put their foot on the throat of the Cavs and choke them out. When they lost that, we both predicted that that probably swung the series yeah. into the Cavs' favor. Even though they were still down th- uh, 2 well, they tied it up 2-2, two to two, Once they did that, I think it gave the Cavs too much momentum. 
too much confidence, really. And I don't think the Pacers are a team that's put together well enough to really finish out a series when it's close. So, the Pacers were not able to go up 3-1. to one. Series got tied 2-2. Two to two. They went back and forth. And the series ended up closing out at 4-3. to three. So, it went to a Game 7. Now, the Cavs were the higher seed. They got home court advantage. So, right there, that's a tough environment for the Pacers to come into Cleveland and try to close out a Game 7 in LeBron Stadium. Now, touching on LeBron. I know... We give him some hate. I know our Twitter account got into a little Twitter fight (laughs) over the weekend about complaining about some of LeBron's flops, which I still say are valid complaints. But if anybody tries arguing that LeBron did not carry his team to a victory, then they're lying to themselves. LeBron was able to carry that team with no help and basically make sure that he was not going to get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. Because if he had, that would have been his first time in his career getting knocked out first round. So, Oladipo still did his thing. He got 30 points in the game seven. But the big thing was, did he have enough, did he have enough help? Darren Collison put up 23 Thaddeus Young put up 14. Those are some solid numbers. But it still was not enough for the king, as some like to call him. So, LeBron, there is one stat that shows you how great he was in this series. Now, granted, I also want to put some people in check. LeBron got them out of this series. And everybody's racing to say how great he was. And man, you can't deny his greatness now. This was round one of the Eastern Conference playoffs against the Indiana Pacers. I want to just put that into perspective for everybody. This was not LeBron carrying his team through the finals. This was making sure he didn't get eliminated in round one of the Eastern Conference playoffs everybody so yes LeBron was great to me it's more a sign of a problem that he had to be that great for his team to even get out of the first round now the stat that we have seen I'm sure a lot of you have seen is that LeBron didn't have any teammates score over 20 points in any of the games And that is going to be a big issue going forward. But before we get into that, just looking at Game 7, LeBron put up a nasty 45 points. You, I know you're saying, not deny his greatness, but kind of have everybody chill out because it's the Eastern Conference. But, I mean, the numbers he put up, man, I can't deny the greatness of what he did. He willed that team to willed that team to that to the next round. You know what's more impressive to me than just his points? I mean, I know everybody likes to look at points. He put up forty five. He put up forty five, shooting sixty four percent. So that means he was taking smart, efficient shots. Yeah. 
And then to me, what maybe is the biggest leap for LeBron this year is his three point shot. Mm-hmm. He shot 66.7% from three in that game seven. So this is not the LeBron of early Cleveland going into Miami where his three-point shot, you didn't have to worry about it. Just make make him shoot. He would knock down some. He would have games where he got hot. But LeBron is shooting pretty efficiently from three, so you definitely have to respect that. He's unstoppable. Which is making that first step, that drive-in, even more efficient for him now that people are having to get up on his body. And then that translates into that 64% field goal percentage total. That means he's getting into the paint and taking those smart shots. So, I mean, he took over, took over the whole series, led the team in every single category. He's great, man. He is. He's <laughs> he's greatness. Like I said, I don't have much to say about it, but I mean, there you're just getting started. It's the first round. I am worried about the minutes he's playing, and you brought up a good point because he had to play those minutes against the Pacers, so that does bring up a problem. You are playing a better team in Toronto. But he has Toronto's number in the second round. So we'll see how that goes. I will say the the one person who stepped up in game seven to help the Cavs that I don't think anybody was expecting to put up these numbers was Tristan Thompson. Yeah, he, he finally got some run. Yeah, he, he put up 15 points, 10 rebounds. Kevin Love still 14 points. Kevin Love needs to be scoring more than Tristan Thompson. Oh, oh yeah. But... Again, that goes back to that stat of nobody breaking the 20-point mark in that whole first round for the Cavs. So LeBron has no help, but he made sure they did not get knocked out by the Pacers. I do think this series was really the arrival of Oladipo. We touched on it last week. uh This is not the Oladipo from Orlando. This is the Oladipo that went to the Thunder, learned from Westbrook. Like we said, Westbrook has his own kind of issues, but Old Depot definitely, I think, if anything, learned how to be aggressive. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's not a, a more aggressive player in the league than Westbrook as far as that tenacity, game in, game out, every single night. And I think that helped develop Old Depot so that once he went to a team that he could say, okay, this is my team. He really put them on his back. And I think this series just showed that Old Depot kind of reached that, that next level, maybe that kind of second level tier star in the NBA. Definitely interested to see what he does next year, but congrats to the Cavs. They got out of the first round and LeBron had to carry them basically every point and every minute of the way. He did. And again, we're going to touch on this a little bit here, but in addition to the 45 points, LeBron did play 43 minutes, which was the most on the Cavs that game seven. Now, jumping into the Western Conference. Okay, moving to the West. Going into the second round. Ended up in the first round. You know, Warriors beat the Spurs. New Orleans swept the Portland Trailblazers. Houston beat the Timberwolves. And the Jazz beat OKC. Now, let's go a little bit into that Game 7 or Game 6 between the Jazz and OKC. I know I went into it earlier in my hangover about how Paul George was not playoff P. We won't even get into that. I'm getting mad already thinking about it. You know what I think the most disappointing part of the whole 
a Paul George performance was. I mean, he was in the game for 45 minutes. Yeah, he was he was there the whole time. <laughs> I mean, he played Westbrook was there for 43 minutes. Like Paul George had his time. Yeah. And here's the big argument. Some people were saying, well, Westbrook, and you touched on this already, Westbrook took too many shots. Um, some people say Paul George didn't have a chance to get into a rhythm. Well, if it's an elimination game, and again, Westbrook is known to be a ball hog, and trust me, he deserves all of that criticism that he gets, On, in my opinion. But if you're in an elimination game, and this is your whole season, and your teammate is not performing, and it's not like he hit a couple shots, and then ended up with eight total attempts. Yeah. Again, I mean, he was two for 16. So he got some shots up. They might not necessarily have been in rhythm or let him really get his game going. But, hey, there's only so much time in the game, and this is your whole season winding down to four quarters. Yeah, and that's the thing. OKC was down eight, ten points pretty much the whole game. You're, you're constantly trailing. You don't have time to – Oh, let me let me let uh, Paul George find his shot. Let me let me uh, let him get warmed up. No, because they cannot stop Utah on the defensive end at all. Donovan Mitchell went off, of course, which he looked like the best shooter in the league. He was hitting everything. Donovan Mitchell has ele- he elevated his game into the playoffs. He was already a rookie of the year candidate. Um, he's probably going to lose out to Ben Simmons. But in terms of these playoffs, man, Donovan Mitchell elevated his game. He looked like a veteran out there. Now, to me, when I'm looking at at the box score, another part that really puts Paul George's performance in perspective, and I might get some flack for this, maybe not, but you said Paul George is on the team with two other All-Stars and Westbrook and Carmelo. I'm in the opinion that Carmelo is no longer an all-star. I think Carmelo is past his prime. Well, obviously, but I don't think he performs at an all-star level. I think he he should go he should go to the bench he, for OKC moving on. He should. They've discussed it and he said there's no way he's going to sit on the yeah. bench cuz he's Carmelo Anthony. Well, Carmelo, you're not in Denver anymore. You're not leading a team anywhere. What Carmelo does is stand on the wing, gets his spot-up threes, and somehow forgot how to play defense. So, Carmelo, to me, is not an all-star. And putting that in pers- into perspective, Carmelo Anthony finished with seven points to Paul George's five. He finished with seven points in 25 minutes. So, just to kind of highlight how bad Paul George's performance was, Carmelo played about half the time and scored more points. <laughs> and to me, again, he's a player... Nowhere near Paul George's level. Yeah, I agree. So, Westbrook, he tried putting the team on his back, as he usually does. Yes, he shot a ridiculous amount in 43 shots. But, hey, he put up 46 points. I mean, you can't knock him too much for that in an elimination game. Now, I think Westbrook has his issues. You saw how heated he got. Going into going yes. into halftime, he wears in, his emotion on his sleeve. Got sure. into it with a fan, and I'm in the halftime incident. I'm more willing to have take Westbrook's side of the story. I'm sure that fan said something ridiculous or said something not appropriate at all at a sporting event to get Westbrook's reaction like that going into halftime. 
But then you saw at the end of the game, he got into it with another fan who was just kind of filming him with his phone. Yeah, the fan was leaning over a little bit, maybe a little too close, but Westbrook is supposed to be the professional and about slapped the fan's phone out of his hand, started yelling at him. That's the kind of stuff where it's like, Westbrook, reel it in a little bit. I think he has that same attitude when he's playing of just go off of all emotion where sometimes he needs to use his brain just a little more. He took yeah. a shot with about two minutes left early in the shot clock. Yeah, he just threw it up. Not needed at all. A few feet behind the three-point line, contested, and just threw it up and airballed it. That was not a situation where we need a three. At that point, that was crunch time. This was a close game. They only lost by five points. Yeah, I was going to say, after all that Paul George struggles, Melo struggles, Westbrook throwing up shots, they got it into one possession. And that yeah. in that last that last series, the, the OKC got five chances yeah, to put up a three. The, the Thunder got five offensive rebounds in a row and kicked it back out and took shots, and they still didn't sink it. So, again, just touching on that, OKC, I think, has some problems going forward. Um, I know it's your hangover. You don't want to hear about Paul George here in this offseason. But, man, the Jazz definitely performed. You look at their their point spread. I mean, Joe Ingles put up 12. Derek Favors put up 13. Rudy Gobert put up 12. All kind of solid numbers. And then Donovan Mitchell, again, did not look like a rookie. Okay, game elimination game, home court. Donovan Mitchell put up 38 points. Okay, and he could have missed that night, and that was off of 26 shots, so about half of what Westbrook did. So, shout out to Donovan Mitchell and his crew with the Jazz. Congrats to them for getting out of the first round. Thunder are going home. Those are really the only two two first round games we wanted to touch on, and let's go ahead and move into this second round. So, second round, let's start off with the West. You're looking at the Warriors versus Pelicans and the Rockets versus Jazz. Now, the Warriors versus Pelicans, I'm going to let you start it off. Coming into the series, New Orleans looked like cream of the crop. How are they going to be stopped? They just ran Portland out of the gym. Pelicans said, we're going to keep this up tempo offense against Golden State. But it didn't work. Warriors are woke. <laughs> they reminded the Pelicans and the world that, hey, we are the defending champs. It's the second round. It's time for us to wake up. They won by 22. It is, And the game wasn't close. It does feel kind of, doesn't it kind of feel, it's weird that almost, I don't want to say the Warriors are flying under the radar, they, but it, it seems like there's so much concentration on how well the, the Rockets are playing that nobody's really talking about the Warriors. And what I keep harping on every week is that even without Steph Curry, you still have three all-stars on the team, which are about two and a half all-stars more than any other team has in the league. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the thing. I think they they really uh, they thrive on that, knowing that we're now the underdogs because there's so much hype with this Houston team. Steph Curry did not play game one. They didn't need him. I don't even think they will need him this series, but he is going to play game two. Yes. Again, we're recording this on Tuesday. I said it last week. Steve Kerr said, hey, Steph Curry practiced at 100%. He's supposed to be playing game one. 
they decide to sit him out. Um, here it is Tuesday. The Warriors are playing tonight, and it's official. Steph Curry is in the lineup. So with with no minute restrictions, I think it's. I think this is a perfect time to bring him back. Let him get warmed up. Exactly. The, yeah. One, he has no pressure. The Warriors won by 20. 22. 22, the last game. There's no pressure on Curry. This is, hey, get back out there. Get into the rhythm of the offense. Get your shot back. Because, again, there's a big difference between shooting in practice and shooting in game. But go out there and get warmed up. I think this is really smart to go ahead and bring him back. Let him get in that game rhythm before they get to the Western Conference Finals, which kind of leads into my prediction for the series is I think the Warriors easily take it. Now, I don't want to get too deep into this right now, but you just said something at a break that you expect the Pelicans to maybe pull out a win. I think Pelicans will get one at home, one game, that's it. I have more faith in them getting one than the Jazz do against the Rockets. And I think you're out of your mind on that. Because, again, <laughs> you you just said Warriors reminded the world that they're the defending champs. I think the Warriors versus Pelicans, Anthony Davis is able to thrive against some of these other teams. When you against the Warriors, you have Draymond Green in the paint. You have Javel McGee in the paint and as much flack as JaVel McGee gets he is a big body yeah, and he's he, still a presence he's still a presence he can still alter your shot that him and Draymond are people who can play against Anthony Davis and not be intimidated by his size he can't he's gonna have to really create his own shot against those two players so I think Warriors will get a sweep against the Pelicans the only way I see the Pelicans getting a win is if the Warriors break concentration for a game if they get kind of in a lull, which I don't see happening because we're so deep into the playoffs now here going into the second round that the Warriors know they have to mentally key in that it's not the regular season. It's not even round one. Okay. We really have to be sharp. I think this might go sweep. Well, I mean, that brings me to what we're talking about. Steph Curry, like, do you need him and why you should put him in because you don't necessarily need him. Draymond had a triple-double game one, 16, 15, 11. KD, 26 points, 13 rebounds. Klay Thompson added 27 points. And that that's those three, three yeah. all-stars I talk about. Exactly. I mean, AD was 20. He had 21 points, 10 rebounds. But I think Drew Holiday, remember, he just went ballistic in the first series against Portland. Drew Holiday had 11 points, 4 from 14 from the field. And let's just say AD, he, he scored 21. Let's just say he put up 30. Drew Holiday put up 20. You still lose that game. There's just too much firepower with the Warriors. And like we said, they're focused now. Not saying that they weren't focused before, but right now they see, they know what, the, they see the next series. They see the Rockets exactly. lo- looming there. And they know they're the underdogs. I think they're thriving on it. And if anything, I, I think it makes them better being overlooked. And you, you know, I think the big thing with Curry coming back is Clay had 27 points in that first game. He can do that. If he went to any other team, he could do that every night. 
But obviously, we've seen there's nights where Clay's not necessarily putting up 27. With Steph coming back, Clay doesn't have to put up 27. Clay can put up 10, and Steph Curry's going to put up 15, 20. So now you bring Steph Curry back into it with Clay, plus that puts way more pressure on the defense on the perimeter. When you have Steph Curry bringing the ball down court, you cannot get into your defensive set because Steph Curry can take two shots past the half court line and throw up a bomb and make it eight out of 10 times. <laughs> I mean, that that's the game changer. He is. Yeah. I mean, you go, you go from worrying about one person as in clay on, on the perimeter, shutting them down to Steph. Exactly. It changes. You your, have two. It changes your whole defensive scheme. Because yeah. And now you have KD who can take over a game now better than anyone. All your pressure goes onto the perimeter with Clay and Steph being out there. KD on the perimeter, you have to put pressure on him. But if KD and Draymond, they start getting those mid-range in the paint shots, man, you might as well just go home. <laughs> so I, it, I'm predicting the sweep. I, I think they'll get one. They'll get one game. You know you know how like game threes, game fours, when you go back to your home home court and you get hyped up. I think, I think they might get one. So, but that's it. So let's take this argument straight into the next series because you're saying you see the Pelicans getting a win more than you see the Jazz getting a win. I'm the opposite. I could see the Jazz pulling one off at home against the Rockets, and that's more because of that. I think the Rockets are a lot more likely to lose concentration for a game versus the Warriors. I think the Rockets are a lot more susceptible to to James Harden not taking a night off, but he shoots a few shots. They're not falling. He's going to keep taking a few shots. They might still not be falling. And then you're kind of left up to like Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, Trevor Ariza, those guys knocking down the shots. I think with the Rockets, it it more comes and goes as James Harden goes. I still think that's an easy win for them, but I could see – Heck, Donovan Mitchell putting up another 38 points at home with the Jazz crowd hyping him up and Joe Ingles kind of having a great game, just feeding off the energy of the home crowd. I could see the Jazz putting up one win versus New Orleans. I don't think they feed off that home crowd energy. It's not the same environment. I mean, look where they play. They play at the Smoothie King Center. (laughs) Are you you excited to play at the Smoothie King Center? (laughs) No, that Jazz crowd, when you watch that first round, I think Jazz fans are reinvigorated because they see this rookie who can really take their franchise back to the glory days. So I see the Jazz getting a win in the series, like one win. Yeah. But Rockets are still taking it. Yeah, so Rockets win 110-96. Win by 14. The game wasn't even close in the first half. Houston came out firing. Harden dropped 41, 8, and 7. He hit seven threes, 7 for 12. Chris Paul added 17, and the team shot 53% from three, which that's what they do. They shoot the three. Crowder kept the Jazz in the game. He dropped 21, but they just couldn't keep up. Now, the Utah Jazz did play better in the second half. I will give them that. But this brings me back to you, back to what you're saying. Yes, I know Houston is more likely to have a a, a slip-up. 
as far as like lose focus and not hit shots one game. But Donovan Mitchell had 21 points, just nine for 22 from the field, one from one for seven from three. That is Donovan Mitchell. He's not a great shooter. He went ballistic in the series against the against the Thunder. So if Donovan Mitchell doesn't score, who scores? Jameson Crowder isn't going to drop 21 every night. Joe Ingles, he might hit three, four threes. That's 9, 10, 11, 12 points. You don't have anybody else other than Donovan Mitchell. So that's why I think even if James Harden struggles, let's say he only puts up 20. That's struggling <laughs> for James Harden. He only puts up 20. But Chris Paul can easily add 10, 15. Trevor Reza, 10, 15. So... This series very easily can go a sweep. I see your point as far as the Jazz home crowd because they were lit against OKC and they could possibly get a win. But I mean, they just looked overpowered. They really, they, they, I wouldn't say out of their league, but OKC would have been a better matchup against the Rockets. But then again, you got to get there. Okay, see, you got to get there. You got to get there. I mean, Jazz took care of business first round. So. Okay, so initial predictions. I think it's obviously obvious we're both picking Warriors and Houston to come out of this round. Yeah, and it's not not even close. We just have a difference of opinion on who might win one game. But I think, yeah, I think this first round or the second round is going to be even less competitive than the first round was. Yeah, these two series look like one in eight matchups. Yeah, they really Warriors won. Rockets won. They both they both look like a one and eight matchup in a first round of a playoffs. Yeah, that's what they look like. Okay, so well then let's go ahead and move on to the Eastern Conference then. All right, so we already kind of touched on who won, but let's talk about what's going on right now. So so far in the Eastern Conference, again we're recording this on a Tuesday. The only matchup we've had so far are the Celtics and the Seventy Sixers. And that definitely swayed my opinion a little bit on what's going to go on in that series. I know it was game one for the Celtics at home. That's without Kyrie, without really any of their stars. I mean, Gordon Hayward obviously still hurt. But I was thinking the 76ers would bring a little more oomph to the game. And... Not to say they let me down because I'm not like a 76ers fan, but I think Boston showed how big of a difference A, experience is, and B, coaching, coaching. can make. So, Boston won 117-101, to 101, and when you're watching that game, it almost didn't even feel that close. Yeah. Now, looking at it, man... Al Horford performed the best he has. He put up 26 points. Yeah, Horford, man. He was... Yeah. Jason Tatum put up 28 points, which we've we've talked plenty about Jason Tatum on this podcast. Um, Kind of the surprise, not surprise, but man, Terry Rozier put up 29. So you had three players putting up close to 30 for the Celtics, and they really carried them to an easy victory. I think the biggest issue was Boston's a little more experienced in the playoffs. Everything, even though these teams are trying to run fast, everything slows down a little bit 
you have to be able to put a body on somebody and have a little bit of toughness. And I think the 76ers really showed how young of a team they are and that even though they have this massive talent, and I mean, Joel Embiid put up 31 points, which you can't ask for any more from him than he did. That's a crazy stat for him. 31 points for Joel Embiid. But the team as a whole really showed their lack of toughness. And some people are freaking out that, man, they're they're just so soft. I think it's less of a they're a soft team and more of just that inexperience kind of equates to softness. I think the big thing was Sixers have been off for six days. Yeah, they finished the series against the Heat quick, pretty quickly, five games. You have this that's almost a week, and you have these players coming from the NBA regular season. You don't have more than two days off. In theory, so, you should be rested, though. You're rested, you're rested. As, as a shooter. Let's say let's say we're playing pickup, right? We play two, three days in a row. You're like you're feeling your shot like damn, like damn, I've been on the last couple of days. Well, you don't play for a week. You come back out there, you don't feel comfortable with your shot. So these shooters, they're not feeling good with their shots. It showed last night. 76ers shot 20% from three. That's not going to happen every game. It's not. That, to me, is the biggest takeaway. Is the 76ers aren't going to shoot that bad. I mean, like you just said, every game. So I do think this series will be closer than what the first game showed. And, yeah, I think you make a good point. I think it's an experience, but like you said, they, they were off for a while in theory. That should give you more time to put in a game plan plan for defense against the Celtics. But they still had pretty solid production. I mean, J.J. Redick put up 20. I don't know if that's happening every game. Ben Simmons put up 18. Saric put up 12. I think the difference will be in Ben Simmons. I think for them to win this series, Joel Embiid's not going to score 31 every game. Ben Simmons is going to have to put up a little more. And I know he's a great distributor, but he's going to have to kind of, I know he, he's not a great shooter either, but he's going to have to create some plays and take it to the hole and use his size like he can and, and get some of those shots in the paint like LeBron does. We just talked about how efficient he was in that last game. All those aren't jump shots. He's using his body and size to, to get into the paint and create some high efficiency shots. Well, I think another thing to take account it uh, account of Simmons had seven turnovers. That can't happen. So you add an extra possessions for the Celtics, and MB Joel MB came out and said we played like shit as far as on the defensive end. He said I can play better. We all can play better. So I think they will play better. But a thing I want to jump on like everybody's hyping on this scary Terry Rozier. Man, I have no faith in this man as far as putting up 29 points a game. I don't. He shot less than 40% in the regular season. That's a lot more games you can look at. Granted, he's a backup behind Kyrie. I just don't have faith. He's not going to drop 29 every game. He's not. He's not going to shoot seven for nine from three. He might not shoot 
he might not get 29 every game. But like we said, opening up this series, it showed the experience of the team, but it also showed the coaching. I think I think it shows the coaching more than anything. And it showed Brad Stevens knows how to use these players yep. and let them be efficient. You look at Crowder when he was on Boston. He was a heavy, heavy producer. And he's kind of a career journeyman. And here they go. Brad Stevens knew how to use them. Even Isaiah Thomas had like a superstar year under Boston. Yes, he's had a bad hip. No, he wasn't a good fit in Cleveland. And then going to the Lakers. I mean, I hope Isaiah Thomas can get healthy and still produce. But I do think part of it was Brad Stevens knew how to use him. I think Brad Stevens doesn't just say, okay, here's my system. Everybody adjust to it. I think he looks at his talent and knows how to adjust to his talent. And I think that's where the strength of the Celtics is really coming from. My, As far as Brad Steven goes, my opinion right now, he's the best coach in the NBA that we have. I put him right under Pop. I just don't think Popovich has the talent right now. Uh, yeah, I can see that. But, no, well, I definitely agree. He's in that, that very, very top tier. As far as, like, coaching, actually coaching the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a reason Gordon Hayward has already been coached by him. And decided to come back to him. Yeah. One last thing I want to touch on this as far as game one of the Celtics and 76ers. Jalen Brown was out. Yeah. And hamstring. That, hamstring. As he far was. as from the 76ers, that's a scary thing to think about. Arguably, their best offensive player for the Celtics was out. That's And you couldn't pull that game away. This whole, whole existence of the podcast, we've talked about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And how with the absence of Kyrie... Those two are going to have to kind of carry the Celtics. And here you are, an easy game one win, and one of those two pieces isn't even playing. So mm-hmm. I get your point. Maybe they rest him one more game if they have to. Um, but I think once he does come back. It'll just be even harder for the Sixers. Yeah. I think, I think the 76ers against the Heat were able to play off of just talent, and they just – showed how much better they were. I think this series, this is where these young guys really will grow. And they can either grow as the series goes on and learn from it, or they can still just try to go off their athletic ability and their talent. And then in the offseason, they're really going to have to watch some film and learn from it going into next season. So let's go straight into previewing tonight's matchup and again by the time you hear this this game is already decided but let's look at the Cavs in Toronto well LeBron has the Raptors number he's had it for the last two or three years in the playoffs long story short I think LeBron will continue going off carrying this team leading leading them in every single category I think Raptors get one for sure maybe two what? Yeah. Okay. That's that's how I see okay. it. Because Kyle, Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, I don't know what it is when LeBron steps in the building. They freak out something. I think I I think they get two games. Okay. That's it. For, I, for, think, I think they win tonight. I think they win game one. Raptors win, win game one. And then they might win uh, game four. Something like that. For, for all... 
all the people who say me and AJ, we agree too much. We got similar views. And I mean, every now and then we clash. This is probably the first time here in the playoffs that I have a big difference of opinion from you. You think it's going seven? I don't even know if it's going that. You think Raptors are winning that? Oh, and oh, okay. And here I was previewing the playoffs saying I had no confidence in the Raptors. They're the number one seed. And I said, the Raptors have a terrible history in the playoffs. I don't trust DeRozan. I don't, or Kyle Lowry. I don't think they can carry that team as far as they need to go. But I have new data now after, (laughs) after watching that, after watching the first series, I'm still disappointed with the Raptors. I don't think they're a great team. Their, their first round series went way longer than it needed to go, especially with them being the number one seed. They rely too heavy on Lowry and the Rose. They do. They do. So this, this take is less about the Raptors' inability and more about what I saw from the Cavs in that first round. Like I said, yeah, the King was great. He he carried his team to a win, and everybody's talking about it. Like I said, it was the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs which everybody knows the Eastern Conference is not as strong as the Western Conference. So, from what I saw in that first round, the Cavs are not a basketball team. The Cavs are essentially LeBron and a group of professional basketball players. But they cannot play as a team. He has no help. This man is, what, 33? 32, 33 in his upteenth season. And yeah, he's been performing great all season. But that takes a toll on your body. And yeah, he takes care of his body probably better than anybody else in the league. But LeBron cannot carry this team playing 43 minutes a game throughout this whole round against the Raptors. He cannot be the only player to score 20 points against the Raptors and expect to come out with a win in this second round. The Raptors do have a bench. I mean, they are a solid team. I'm not going to say they're they're great because I, I still don't have confidence in them. Like I just said, I don't think they're going to go too far. But the Raptors are not something to laugh at either. They're the number one seed in the East for a reason. Their team knows They've how to play. They've been number one before, though. They have been, but <laughs> LeBron also had Kyrie on those teams. <laughs> True. So, like I said, this is less about what I saw from the Raptors and more about, more about how disappointing the Cavs were in that first series. Yes, LeBron is great, and y'all want to come at us on Twitter. That's fine. Shout out to Chris Wilson. <laughs> but LeBron doesn't have the help he needs to get through the Raptors. Now, if Ty Lue wants to play LeBron 45 minutes a game and just run him dry, go for it. Who knows? Maybe maybe they win. But you saying the Raptors are going to come out with one, maybe two wins? Hell no. This could easily go to a game six, game seven, which to me, if I was a Raptors fan, would still be a disappointment. Yes, LeBron has the upper hand on... DeRozan and Lowry and he's kind of always owned them and I think he still might own them this series LeBron still might go off this series and show them who's boss 
but he doesn't have the pieces around him. And Toronto, like I mean, we've said before, they got Valanchunas, Ibaka, Kyle Lowry, DeRozan, CJ Miles. They they've got enough pieces to where I think if you just match up one against one, two against two, three against three, you look at the Raptors and the Cavs. Yeah, LeBron can can beat out the Raptors by himself when he's starting. But at some point, your bench has to come in. And at that point, the Raptors are going to beat the Cavs. And LeBron can't play 45 minutes every single game. Maybe he can, but by game six, game seven, he'll start puttering out just a little bit. Especially going through that first round he just went through where he had to carry everybody. I did see a report today that they were going to try to monitor LeBron's minutes going into this round. Well, I hope. I mean, I hope you know, Lou Tyron Lou doesn't do anything with that, right? I was, I was about to say LeBron runs the team. That, that's a, and a, he runs his own. Yeah, minutes. that that was a false story. Yeah. Is what I was getting at. Is hey, we know we ran him dry. We're going to try to monitor his minutes going into this round. No, the Cavs' game plan is if things are shaky, LeBron stays on the court. So no, they're not monitoring his minutes. They're playing to win every single game, and I think at some point that catches up to you. And I disagree with you heavily. I think the Raptors beat the Cavs. Who knows? They might fold and make me look stupid, which would not surprise me (laughs) coming from the Raptors. But I just don't think LeBron has enough help. And, again, this is not saying anything about LeBron. He's great. We all know. Yeah. I think you're hating on LeBron, man. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even get me started on that. (laughs) But he doesn't have the pieces around him. I think Toronto is just a deeper team. Where, like we just talked about the Pacers, they weren't as deep of a team. It Old Depot still had to carry that yeah. load. Toronto's a little deeper than the Pacers. I think it's going to catch up with the Cavs this series. And who knows, this might be the last, and I'm not getting into this, but this might be the last time we see LeBron in a Cavs jury, jersey coming into the second <laughs> round. Yeah. Yeah. You do bring up him playing 45 minutes a game pretty much. If he does that this series and they get past this series, he will not go to the the finals. He won't because you're right. It catches up to you. Him playing 45 minutes a game just makes it – I mean, it's not making it easy. makes it easier for either the Sixers or the Celtics to beat the Cavs because you're right. It catches up on you. Now, I know he's a freak athlete, best athlete in the world, okay? Probably best athlete we've ever seen as far as what he does, but that's it. Just catches up to you, and you're you're right on that. But he will have to play 45 minutes a game to win this series. Exactly. So this is going to be an entertaining one. Again, as we're recording this, there's about four minutes left here in the first quarter. Um, Toronto is up 20 to 15. I mean, told you, man. Game one, they're going to AJ did call it game one. (laughs) I think they're going to win more than game one and game four. I think, if anything, they're going to win their home games. Cavs win their home games. I could see it going seven. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, I think if you're a Raptors fan, you really need to hope they shut it out in about five or six. Yeah. So The longer you keep it going, the more more hope. and Exactly. Take notes from the last series. Pacers couldn't, couldn't get the kill when they needed yeah. to. Raptors... If you do get that kind of lead, you need to shut it down. Hey, if the Cavs come out of the series, yes, then that just adds to that respect for LeBron. Because again, I'm not 
too impressed with a first round win. But if he can get through this series, man, then like Cavs need to give him some kind of bonus because he's got no help. <laughs> and I know his back's got to be hurting from carrying this team. Oh, yeah. So that is the playoffs thus far. Next week, hopefully we'll have some updates for you, see who was wrong, who was right. And let's just go ahead. And it's that time again. It's time for last call. So again, last call. This is something we didn't necessarily get to touch on in the show. Didn't want to devote too much time to it. And this is just one person gets the mic, get something off their chest. I think this week, AJ's got a story. So AJ, I'm going to give you the last call. All right. I just wanted to talk about, I know we talked about the draft earlier. You know, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers kind of guy. I just want to talk about their draft picks, what I think about it. First round, they drafted safety Terrell Edmonds. I like the move. Um, We moved on from Mike Mitchell earlier in the offseason, trying to get some help in that back end of the defense. Also, in the third round, we traded Martavis Bryant to the Raiders. Now, I brought up brought it up last week. There's kind of some questions about Martavis Bryant. Does he want to be here? I know he came out and said, I just want to play. I want to be traded. So they drafted him to the Raiders for a third-round pick. Now, in the second round, Steelers drafted pick I like, Oklahoma State receiver James Washington, to kind of fill that void that trade in Martavis has. And in the third round, you essentially, which this is what I really wanted, you drafted a quarterback, who was teammates with James Washington, Mason Rudolph from Oklahoma State. Now, you kind of, maybe you drafted the quarterback of the future for Ben Roethlisberger, whose future somewhat limited as far as years. He hasn't really committed to anything until today he came out and said he wants to play three to four or three to five more years as long as he's healthy, which I love to hear. I'm a, I'm a big band guy, hat backwards guy. That's me. Um, but I, I like to see that he's committed to that because I've been worried the last couple of years as far as him. Not, not I'm not saying he hasn't looked into like looked like he's into the game, but he hasn't really committed in the offseason these past couple of years as far as how long is he going to play and and all that. It does seem like every offseason there's questions. The questions of is Big Ben going to come back this year is he not like the last like two two years maybe every offseason is big ben coming back so yeah for him to kind of solidify his yeah, hey, plan I want to play yeah which i really like so they finished the draft they drafted offensive tackle another safety a fullback and a defensive tackle my thought is on the draft it was a solid draft and I'm, I'm really excited about james washington and mason rudolph I know Mason kind of sit behind Ben for some two, three, four, five years, really get to know that offense, get to know the NFL. And I think that'll only be helpful in the long run for him and the Pittsburgh organization. And that is my last call. That was last call. So just want to thank everybody. If you're still with us, listening to this podcast, again, you guys are the ones that support us. Go follow us on Twitter. Like AJ said at the beginning of the show, find us at Ballers on Tap. 
That's where you can kind of reach us directly, have a conversation. You think something we said on here is completely wrong. Call us out. Maybe this Sierra Nevada Tropical Torpedo is your favorite beer. Let us know how wrong we are about (laughs) how good it is. No, go ahead and call us out. We live tweet during most of these playoff games that are going on. We definitely try to. We try to stay on top of things that are going on in the sports world, Braves, NFL Draft. Come at us on Twitter. Either help support us or let us know how stupid you think we are. (laughs) We're happy either way. (laughs) And then, like we said, find us on the iTunes podcast app. Give us a rating. Go ahead and comment there. Or for you Android folks, find us on Stitcher. Same thing. Rate, subscribe, leave a comment. And hey, we're always looking for suggestions on what beer to try for next week. These last few have come off of suggestions, and it's definitely taken us out of our comfort zone. Yeah, it's definitely beers we wouldn't we wouldn't grab as far as and that's that's what we love. We want to try these new stuff. Want to get your input on it. Exactly, and can't wait to see what you guys throw at us. Again, just find us, subscribe, like. It's a community effort. We want to be in communication with you. We want you to be in communication with us. We appreciate it. And uh, this time next week, we'll have some updated playoff information going on. And it just gets better and better from here leading up to the NBA play finals, really. So, everybody, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. The Ballers on tap.